Good morning. Alright. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm. You'll be back in Psalm 119. We'll be looking at also Psalm 72. Um, and we are talking about the aspects, or excuse me, yeah, the aspects of family worship as pertains to the Psalms. We'll also be looking at Psalm 1 and Psalm 19. Um, so be prepared to bounce around the Psalms a little bit. Um, please let me start out with a word of prayer. Father, we need grace and wisdom, and uh, you have given it to us in your word, and we pray that you help it apply it to our help us apply it to our hearts. Pray that our minds will be clear, and pray that we may speak rightly of you, Lord, that we may not be under judgment as Job's friends were for not speaking rightly of him, Lord, but that we may speak clearly and communicate rightly as you have shown us in your word. Help us as we seek to understand your will for our families, uh, that we might glorify and honor you through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, aspects of family worship. We'll start out in Psalm 78, excuse me, not 72, 78. Um, so we've been talking about family worship, uh, also a little broader category, uh, cultural influence. Um, and the argument is that your family is one of your greatest cultural influences. Um, uh, the man who has good children will not be ashamed when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Um, that understanding. Uh, your family is a cultural influence, is a witness against, for or against you. Um, and how you, not just your family, but your church family as it grows out. So how you affect and raise my children. How you uh, develop their understanding of church. How my relationship with Adam affects how Samuel understands what men do. Um, what it looks like to be a man. What it looks like to be a woman. Um, what it looks like to be a godly man. What it looks like to be a wicked man. What it looks like to be a godly woman. What it looks like to be a wicked woman. A godly father. A wicked father. Uh, these will all be affected by our relationships with each other, specifically in our family and growing out from there. Um, so how do we talk? How do we, how do we move forward in this? Uh, practically, how do you think about and prepare your worship time? Let's just admit there's plenty of wrong ways to do it. There's plenty of wrong ways to approach it. You can grab a cheap book from Mardell, something like that, run shallow for 30 years. You can be like a lake in southern Florida, hundreds of acres in area and a foot deep. And you can do that your entire life. You can start out young in the church and die old in the church and never have tasted of the deep things of God. Is that a commendation? No. Is that, should that assure you of salvation? No. Um, desire for your children to go deep, desire for yourself to go deep, um, those are signs of true change in a man's heart. So, uh, Psalm 78, we're going to look at 2 through 8 to start with. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, and the wonders that He has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, 
which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers." A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So, the Psalms are songs to be sung, and and I love the aspect of music and thinking about what do you sing about. You sing about the emotional things, you sing about the highs, you sing about the lows, you sing about the mediocre stuff sometimes. All of life comes out in music. All of life comes out in the songs. The worthless men who failed their children come out in the psalms. That can be us. It's not beyond our fleshly capability to be worthless failures. As the psalm highlights, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. What is the cure for that? The cure comes earlier. He established a testimony and appointed a law which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. This is the condemnation that comes in Judges 2.10. There arose a generation that did not know the Lord or the things of the Lord. That can happen to our children. We can fall asleep on the job, and I would argue it's happened much in our culture that people have fallen asleep on the job. So let us wake up and see the good things the Lord has for us. So, what will you tell your children? What stories do you pass on? What law do you teach your children, and is your house run by it? What law, and that's that's a a condemning thing for me, how many times do we actually sit there and intentionally ask, what law will I teach my children? Ignoring it does not mean you won't teach them a law. It typically means you'll teach them a bad law. Is the law good? Is the law good? Is it good enough for us to talk to our neighbors about? Is it really that good? So what law will you teach your children? Verse 5 again. He commanded our fathers to teach their children. He appointed a law which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. How do you view the law? So, hypothetically, walk into your place of influence, your secular place of influence, your secular place of being known. People know you in bits and pieces. Where's the secular place that you walk in and out of? For me, it would be a store here, a store there, uh, maybe a customer here, a customer there. How would they react if in your conversation you said you love the law of the Lord? How awkward would that be if you were at work? If just somehow it worked itself in and you said, man, I love the law of the Lord. I meditate on it day and night. Are you not already embarrassed right now that they would think you're a freak? Is that not condemning for us right now that we already know that we are embarrassed? That we would be timid 
about vocally singing, I love the law of the Lord. That wears down to our children. So, let us exalt the law in our houses. If it is good, let's act like it. Psalm 119. Actually, back up. Let's do Psalm 1 first. So, what is the juxtaposition of wickedness? If you consider, um, something that's been on my mind a lot lately, is there are literally two roads. There's not, there's not a gray path in the middle that you can actually walk. There's literally two ways you're going to walk. You're either going to be for the Lord or you're going to be against the Lord. So as I've considered the starkness of this, what is the juxtaposition of wickedness? What is the opposite of wickedness? What is the antithesis? What is the net photo negative of wickedness? As you look at Psalm 1, and I would encourage you, this is, one of the, this is one of the first psalms that, thankfully, the Lord impressed on me to teach our children. It's a great one to start out with. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This is a good one to teach your children, because then they will look at you and wonder, are you the blessed man? Do you meditate on God's law day and night? That will help keep you in line. Let's be honest. Our flesh is weak. We don't necessarily want to wake up every single morning early enough to meditate on the law of the Lord. So this is a good one. Use your family as a way to keep yourself in line. Step up to the goal. Step up to the task. Set the bar where it should be, understanding that you've set it in front of witnesses that will hold you accountable one day. That's us as a church and also your family that sees you every day. And understand that you're telling your children that the man who meditates on the law day and night is blessed, and that's what we should be. That's what we should strive for. So as you seek to set apart the aspects of your family worship or your family culture, if you want to go a little bit broader than that, let's not make it a rushed, pushed into. And I admit, many times it will feel rushed. It will feel pushed into. That will be the challenge, to press on in faithfulness. But the goal is setting it up to where your children see it as a blessing and that you truly believe and have the faith in God's Word that you will be blessed if you meditate on His Word day and night. You will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. In all that He does, the pro- He prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If we believe that, the first step is leaning into it. So in your aspects of family worship, lean into that. It doesn't come naturally to our flesh. So, now, Psalm 19, 119, excuse me. Any questions so far on that? So as it pertains to the aspect, this is something I thought of. I've said it before when it pertains to music. I'm not great and good. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But I'm still called to sing with joy. Um, you don't have to be good at something to enjoy it. That is a lie that we, we don't think about in our culture. Culturally, you find something you're good at and you lean into that so other people will praise you. 
That's typically how it works. So instead, of, so when you look at yourself, be, be wary. Yes, God has gifted you, so there's a balance here to understand. Be wary. But many times people will, will give the excuse of, oh, God gifted me at this sport or at, at speaking eloquently and doing this. God gifted me here, so I'm leaning into that. And You know, it's God that's getting the glory. But in all honesty, men most often will find that which they're good at, lean into that so they can get more glory. It's, it's John 5.44. How can you believe when you receive praise from one another? And do not seek the only praise that, come, the praise that comes from the only God. So look at the things and evaluate your life. Have you ever considered there might be something you're good at you're not supposed to do? Have you ever thought about that? The, the, Louis Sanfernini. He could have run on Sunday, and he didn't. <laughs> he could have won on Sunday, and he didn't. Have you ever considered there might be something you're good at you're not supposed to do? It may be a test of your faith in God that you go against your fleshly feelings and your fleshly giftings and pursue the Word of God and His righteousness first. So consider that. So I'm not good at music, but I still sing. Um, Often we love things we are good at because they bring us the most glory from men. So if you're not... and, And all that was just a precursor to say... You're not going to get a good response from me if you ever give me the excuse of, oh, I don't really do family worship because I'm not good at it. (laughs) I don't sing good, but I still sing. So I know, fleshly, it may be awkward for us. Fleshly, especially when your kids get older and they become teenagers, and they understand your flaws more, it will be difficult. But you're still called to lean into that. Just because you're not as the world looks at good at leading family worship, doesn't mean God's not called you to step into it and lean into it and trust His promises. So, um, what are you teaching your children? How are you teaching your children? Are we hanging with veggie tails and that's enough? I hope not. So, what law do you teach your children? There's, uh, yeah, oh, this goes back. There's no gifting qualification for this. Just know that. Um, the, the command there to teach the children's children. Um, there is a biblical gifting for teaching that we would affirm. It, just because you may, we may make a case that you may not have a biblical gifting of teaching as a special gift of teaching that, that nowhere negates your, your responsibility to teach in your spheres of influence. Does that make sense? There's no qualification given in, this, in any of these passages we're looking at. There's no qualification for saying, well, I'm not a good teacher, so that kind of, you know, I'll just kind of check out. So... No, no, no gifting qualification there. So, are you teaching your children to speak the testament? Let's look at verse forty-six, Psalm one nineteen, verse forty-six. I want to argue from the greatest to the least. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. So let's argue from the greatest to the least. Is your neighbor king? No. Is the guy at the gas station king? No. Well, if you can speak God's testimonies to the king, how much more so? Is the sheriff's officer king? No. Is your boss king? Is your boss king? Is the one in authority over you king? No. But if he's willing to speak God's testimonies to the king, should we not be willing to speak God's testimonies to our boss? Our elected officials. 
Consider that. The argument from the greatest to the least. He will not shy away from speaking them to the king. That opens up the pos- or that opens up the understanding that we should not shy away from speaking God's testimonies, God's law, God's righteousness. I've said this before. The Ten Commandments was put on about every courthouse for good reason. Are we ashamed of the Ten Commandments? Not the nine. Are we ashamed of the Ten Commandments? Not the eight. Not the seven. Are we okay with covetousness? It's a hard thing. I was listening to it this morning. It was interesting in the vehicle, so we're running down I-35. And the thing about I-35, you see everybody's love on the weekends. It was a camping weekend this weekend. Campers were sailing on Friday. Uh, this morning, a trailer full of motorcycles passed us. And my kids were in the back. Oh, I would want the blue one. Oh, I would want the red one. And I'm sitting there thinking, man. I was asking myself, you know, because growing up in the family I grew up in, and in a lot of the culture I was in, there was always that joke about what you would do if you won the lottery. And literally, would time, much time would be spent, oh, I'd do this or I'd do that. Or, uh, uh, well, that's covetousness. That's not being grateful for what you have and thankful for what the Lord has given you, but that's covetousness. So uh, how, how, how are you teaching, how are you holding up the Ten Commandments in your house, the, the law of the Lord, the moral law, what is good and what is right? Um, are you teaching them to speak the, these things to kings, to leaders, to a boss? How much does the word, and this is, this is one that convicted me, how much does, uh, does it bother you when other people don't follow the law of the Lord? How much, of, how much does it bother you when other people don't follow the law of the Lord? Because we live in a compartmentalized society where we like to, to say, well, that's their business, that's their thing. Well, let me do my thing over here. Understand, we're not, we're not called to separate ourselves from culture. We're not called to dismiss culture and say, well, that's just how they live. That's just how that church does it. Does it bother you that other churches don't follow the law of the Lord? Does that bother you? And I would ask you, was David a legalist? Because I would argue, if you acted like David, and rightly so, you should, you're going to get called a legalist. 136, verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. So, as we look at the aspects of family worship and in the bigger picture of setting up a a household culture and a church culture. My my recommendation, my commendation, my spurring on of us is that we may exalt God's law as much as He exalts His law. We may exalt it. We may joy in it. We may find our joy, our relief, our comfort 
in the testimonies of God and pass them on to our children. So, Psalm, yep, Psalm 19. You'll flip to the left, find Psalm 19. I would recommend this one as an early one to teach to children too. Um, Psalm 19, well known for its two parts, its natural or its general revelation and its specific revelation. If you, if you look at the psalm, it's divided up. The first half focuses on general revelation, the things of nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day-to-day pours out speech. The, the, the idea of that you can walk outside and see we call it general revelation for a reason. You can see the general things of God. That is, it is where we start, where we look and we see the general things of God. To move on, the, the second half of the psalm is focusing on the special revelation, specifically God's Word. Um, it's an interesting thing that I heard brought up by Doug Wilson as he was talking about something he'd learned from John Bunyan. Um, verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. Let's look at the, let's start in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So right there you have law and testimony. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Right there you have precepts and commandments. Then verse 9 says the fear of the Lord is clean. What is that, what is that fear talking about? What is, what is the fear of the Lord? Look below. Continue the second half. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Fear. What is the fear of the Lord? If you look at how it's placed contextually, and remember, context is king. In that context, the word of God is referred to as the fear of the Lord. Laws, testimonies, precepts, commandments, fear. See how it fits in there? The rules. Fear and then rules. If you take fear out to make it mean something different than the Word of God, you're actually twisting a little bit of the context there. Because you've got fear sandwiched in between rules, commandments, testimonies, precepts, and law. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Word of God is also referred to as the fear of the Lord. There, the men were called God-fearers at one time. It would be really awkward for us to do that today because we've, we've let that fall out of culture when we shouldn't have. We should still refer to men as God-fearers or as men who don't fear God. Psalm says there's no fear of God before their eyes. That's a condemnation. That's a bad thing. But we should be known as men who fear God. Why? Because we obey His Word. We look to His Word. We fear His Word. Look at it, look at Look at the... Look at the ways it refers to God's Word there. Perfect, reviving, sure, making wise, right, rejoicing, pure, enlightening, clean, enduring forever, true and righteous altogether. God gives the highest commendation to His Word. Psalm 115.3, there are two things you have exalted above all else, your name and your Word. So, the psalm, let's boil it down to one simple principle to walk away with. 
aspects of family worship, practical aspects of family worship in your house, as described by the Psalms, are the exaltation of the law, the word, the precepts, the testimonies of God. So, put that in the negative. If you don't have a word-centered home, you don't have a godly home. You don't. And you should not expect the, the beautiful things that come from it. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now lean into the blessings of the Lord. I've talked about this when we talked about the Sabbath. How I want you to receive your blessing and lean into a blessing. It was meant to be a blessing to us. It was made for man. The, the word is given to us. God's communication to us. His condescending and coming to us. His tabernacling with us. Jesus is the word incarnate. Lean into His Word in your home. So your aspects of family worship, your children should be able to say 20 years from now, as they reflect on what your house was like, I pray it said of me that I love God's Word. I pray that it said on me that it was, it was my foundation. It's what propped me up. Every argument I get into, it's what I refer to. I have been called a Bible basher before, and I don't take that as an offense. I do ask myself, was I being negative and harsh towards somebody if they think, if I'm called a Bible basher, yes, I will stop and say, okay, am I trying to take the Word of God and just beat them for my rightness? Or am I lifting up God's principles and saying, here they are. Follow these. We, we should, when we receive criticism, we should ask ourselves, is this criticism justly, justly received? But if we never receive criticism, we haven't stepped firmly into the Word of God. So will your home look like that? So from the Psalms, as was blessed to, to hear today, as we talked about it from Exodus and then went to Psalm 119, will your home look like a home that exalts the law of God? as good and right and pure and enlightening is the question. So, questions? Comments? Nothing. Good. Psalm 19 here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about legalism, but uh, verses 7 and 9, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a pretty legalistic thing of the, the psalmist to say here. Yeah. And in 9... Uh, or 8, I think, to the end of 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's commandments enlighten our eyes. We, we live and are, in fact, revived by by the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as Patrick said earlier, it was given to a redeemed people. It's a gift. It's a blessing. We can look at it as being rules for life. Mm-hmm. Rules to live by. Yeah, and, and we, last week, what what is it? It's a reflection of God's character. Do you remember that from last week? It's a reflection of God's character. What is His law? It shows to us the goodness and rightness of God as we learn more about God. So, so basically, sum it up, you ignore God's law and say, oh, that's just law, all it needs grace, you're ignoring God. It's pretty simple. So... Yes. Yeah, yeah, so I didn't even touch on that. Yeah, the last, last, last little section, the blessings. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. So, there's a warning. 
and keeping in there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? And this is something you'll hear me say if you're ever around me for a long amount of time. We are most of all self-deceived. We are most of all self-deceived. Who can discern his errors? How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So, I mean, you could look at that right there, that last half of Psalm 19, and that's a mini 119. It really is. It's like the 119 you can throw in your pocket and go. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't memorize. So, William Wilberforce had a one-mile walk to Parliament for several years. I can't remember if it was 10 or 20 years. His house was about a mile walk from Parliament. He memorized Psalm 119 on his walk. Don't hate your commute if you got one. Commutes can be blessed. Lean into your commute. William Wilberforce did and memorized Psalm 119. A frail, weak man by his own testimony. And he leaned into the goodness of God in his law. In his word. So, yeah, the rewards. Yeah, definitely. Carlos brings up the rewards. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then this is this is often a prayer that I like to recite. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. So, you will, you will. There's there's the other aspect. One of the great rewards is your children will pray. And you will be able to teach your children to pray God's Word. So, after they memorize Psalm 119, um, they can say in their prayer, and we pray, it comes back over and over again. We are forgetful people. One of, the most common, one of the most common things in the Bible is remember, remember, remember. Don't fear, remember. Don't fear, remember. And what's, what's the condemnation? They forgot. And they feared. They feared starvation in the desert because they couldn't see the goodness of God. They wanted to turn back to Egypt. They'd rather be in slavery. They feared their bellies. So, the, the reward there, absolutely. Love, love, love it here. In a, it's an interesting thing, and it can scare the snot out of a parent when you're in a group setting and all of a sudden your youngest child starts praying and you're like, Oh, Lord, <laughs> what's getting ready to happen? Because, I mean, if some crazy stuff comes out. There's so much lost in communication. I mean, the Tower of Babel lives in my house. There's so much lost in communication. It's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant when I said that. But there's some things you pray for. But it is such a joy and a blessing when you hear your children pray and there's scripture coming through it. So we, we want to be like, we want our children to be like John Bunyan. When you prick him, he bleeds Bibline. If you prick me, God's word comes out. It's in me. It's circulating in me. It's my heart and my soul. It's my delight. It's my love. I meditate on it day and night. Two things God has exalted above all else. His name and His Word. So, any questions? I think we're... Any comments? I just said like you were talking about the Psalms and, and as we sing, sing these things, right? Like there's a lot of good nowadays, good, you know, Spotify, whatever. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, the, the saturation of our culture and, and music. Um, you can you can in no way se- separate music and culture. There they are. Music is a part of culture. It is a culture. There. I don't think anybody can just say the ABCs, can you? <laughs> you sing them. That's right. Yeah, I mean they were they were singing these. I mean these the Psalms of Ascent. The, the different. I mean we're going getting ready to we're we're entering the Passion Week. They were they were singing these. There were songs to be sung at appropriate times. So they're songs of lament, and that's that's one thing I think we've lost um, lost in a in a true. We have such a superficial Christianity. Sometimes we've lost the ability to be sad to lament. But the Psalms can teach us that. God's Word can teach us that. You can, you can. I mean, David wept. There's, there's bitterness in Psalms. Psalm 39 was just. It's not a happy psalm. <laughs> there's Psalms that aren't happy. They're true. They're good. They're right. But they, there's also the, the, the truth of life, and that's why I brought out music earlier. Music, music is a reflection of life. We express our lives in music, and so if you look at a lot of the, a lot of the psalms. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. So there's there's a there's a there's the highs and the lows. So, all right. I feel like I've talked too much. Anything else? Nope. Well, let's pray.